And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Today, we come to a somewhat confusing but intriguing topic in the missionary task, and that is the notion of exit or exit to partnership. We know that the final phase of the missionary task is exit, but what does it look like to essentially work yourself out of a job? And why do missionaries eventually need to leave? And how do they determine when it's time to do so? Our guest today is Adam Hales. Adam and his wife, Susie, serve as missionaries with the IMB in East Africa. They previously served off the coast of Southern Africa on the island country of Madagascar. And that's what we're going to be spending a good bit of time talking about today. But Adam has experience in each component of the missionary task from entry to exit and everywhere in between. Today, he's going to be sharing his experience as an IMB missionary, not necessarily speaking on behalf of the IMB, but just kind of representing the experience that he has lived as a missionary serving with that organization. And I'm really excited to have the conversation today. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Paul. Glad to be here with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Why don't you just start by telling us some about you and your family? Yeah. So I'm a missionary kid that grew up in South America. And so I'm kind of weird, but blessed that God allowed that weirdness to marry way above what I deserved. And so married my wife, Susie, and then been in ministry since marriage. God's blessed us with four children. Our oldest is 23, working as a vet tech and about to, I think, run a veterinary hospital, be a manager of that in Round Rock, Texas. And then our second just finished university and is about to get married in December. And she is going to be going to Southwestern Seminary with her husband. So we're excited for that. Our third is a senior in high school and graduating next May, looking to where God wants to place her for university. And then our son is eight years old and in third grade. So the Lord blessed us with the son on the field. We've been serving with the IMB since 2011 and, and just enjoying it. Okay. So I know you guys currently are serving in, in East Africa and Kenya. But before you were there, you guys were actually serving on the island country of Madagascar. Can you give us some of the backstory? How did an Aggie from Texas get to Madagascar? Yeah, definitely God. As I've said, I grew up as a missionary kid in Argentina. So I knew that God had called me to missions from probably 10 years old at an RA camp. And then whenever my wife got called to missions when we were dating, it was kind of one of those signs. And we, we really thought it would be quick. We would finish college go to seminary, hit the mission field. God had some different plans. And so during that time, as we were praying, we just became open to wanting to go where it was going to be difficult and not many people wanted to go. And then where relationship was key. And of course, at that time, the unreached people group focus that we had, it was a drawing thing to us as well. And so as we were looking and praying over jobs around the world, Madagascar was the one that never left us. And especially working with the Antantri people in the South of Madagascar and God just opened the door. We'd never been to Africa the only thing we knew about Madagascar was a cartoon movie. And all we knew was that we wanted to go where God wanted was leading us. And he made it clear that working with the Antandri in the South of Madagascar was where he needed us to be. So we went. All right. That's good. Now, 
Maybe some of our listeners have seen the movie Madagascar, but doesn't necessarily represent the accuracy of what takes place in real life on the island. So maybe tell our listeners some about Madagascar. What's the the people and the culture like? Maybe religion, state of the church, you know, some of these kinds of things. Yeah. So Madagascar is a very unique island. So most of the plant life, animal life is only found in Madagascar, indigenous to there. You're going to find the large baobab trees. So that's kind of true from the movie. The lemurs that you see in there exist that you'll only find on the island of Madagascar, the part of the squirrel family. There's many different types of them. You have one of the neat things about Madagascar. There's no large predators. The fusa is there, but it's not a large animal. And then there's no venomous snakes. And so doing ministry out in the bush and camping and doing stuff was, you felt a lot safer than you do in East Africa, where you go out and do some of those things. So that those were kind of some nice things. There were crocodiles, but you didn't encounter, they were pretty tame most of the time as you do things. The people in Madagascar are also very unique. It's a Polynesian, Micronesian, like where descendancy into how the people are. So in the highlands, they're going to look very much Asian, like they came out of Indonesia or somewhere like that. But then there's a huge Arab. And then of course, the African influence that came in as well. And so it's a mixture of people, but they don't, they're, especially if you're in the highlands, they're going to look a lot lighter and more from the Asian part of the world than you would think of an African country. And so the population is about 30 million now. It's a growing island, size of Texas. And then it has 18 major people groups on the island that um, we've been working with. And there's some sub people groups off of that. The North is highly more Islamic and more Muslim in the beliefs. And then the South is going to be more traditional religion, Africa traditional religion. And if you look at the island, any coastland is highly unreached. But the center of the island where the capital on Tananarivo is pretty reached over, I would say, 70, 80 percent Christian. So if you do research, it's going to say it's about 70 percent Christian, 15 to 20 percent Muslim. You're going to have some Hindu mixed into that and then a lot of animism. The north still needs a lot of work. And I think we're working that. Whenever I arrived, the south was highly unreached. But in the past 10 years, among five people groups, I think it's something like 600 churches planted where there were no churches before. So God has really done something amazing, not just through us, but through our teammates, other colleagues, local brothers and sisters in Christ there that have just had a passion to to take the gospel where it hasn't been. And then seeing these unreached places now reaching other places that we're praying about. So there's a lot of excitement of how God's working in the church. That's great. Yeah. So you said you guys arrived in Madagascar in 2000 and you were there until? We arrived in 2011, sorry, 2011. Okay. And And you were there for how long? We were there for almost 10 years until 2020 during COVID. And so that was whenever at that point, God was leading us to take on another role and asking us to exit out of the work there in Madagascar and move on. Uh, It wasn't what we intended, but it was an exciting and challenging time at the center because it was COVID. So nothing was normal at that point either. Yeah. Yeah. I want to shift gears there to exit. So now that we kind of have at least an understanding of Madagascar, the landscape, what it looked like, those kinds of things. You know, I want to talk about this idea of exit, one of the key components of the missionary task, but not many missionaries have direct experience with this concept of, of exit. So maybe just briefly, can you describe what exit is in relation to the missionary task? So when we're in the missionary task, I think it's a place missiologically where the missionary presence is no longer needed in that area on a full-time basis, 
or maybe where the assistance and guidance may still be needed, but you don't have to be there all the time doing the work with them. Foundation says it's new churches that form that place for people as our partners in the ongoing task of global evangelism. And I believe that the beginning of exit to partnership starts at the beginning with entry and whenever you enter into the new field. So exit to partnership helps drive the how and the why of the strategy that you're going to do on the mission field. Okay, that's good. Do you think that there's biblical warrant for exit or, or maybe where do we see this in the Bible? There's several places I think that you find this. And, and so I would absolutely see that you have that. I think if you just teach a second Timothy 2.2 principle, uh, these things that you've heard and seen in me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also, the idea of I may not always be around, but how is this going to continue to go on? I find that in the Great Commission, if some people kind of look at it and say, whatever you're doing as you're going, you're making disciples and and I think with the IMB, with our idea of that call to station, the call to mission, the call to salvation, and those calls that we have calls to stations that we want to go in and do it well, looking to see like what's next after this. Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter six. I just love that whole passage there, that powerful passage where you get into love God, but the whole idea is no matter what I'm doing, I'm focused on who God is, but I'm also explaining that to all everybody that's coming behind me. And so it's, it may not be an exit to partnership idea, but it's, it's the concept of reproducing yourself out with somebody else. So that the traditions, the truth of who God is continues on to the next person. Mm -hmm. Jesus's ministry was an exit to partnership. Whole example of that walking with these guys, knowing that he was going to be taken away and then entrusting them that he was going to build the church. He was going to empower them with the Holy spirit. He was going to send a helper for them. And then you think through his prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 20, where he says, I'm not just praying for these disciples, but I'm praying for those that would believe in me through their word. So I think you find in so many of those places in scripture, the idea of exit to partnership and, and really I, exit to partnership is part of the missiological principle, I think, of getting the gospel hasn't been, but not having to say, I got to stay here the rest of my life. And I know that's a change, but I know from my dad being a missionary, as much as you would say they were that you had career that were just going to stay there 20, 30 years, it was a different world, but that was never their goal was to see how long can I stay in one place? But when would I hit that criteria? When would it be the mark for me to say, let's go to the next place? And so I think biblically, you see that so in so many places of it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think that you give a lot of great examples. I even think you think about Paul's ministry and his work, he was moving yeah. on to new locations and new places. And so, yeah, we see a lot of examples of it in scripture. So I think that's, that's good. What are the markers? What are the criteria that you look for in exit? In other words, maybe some of our listeners are currently serving as cross-cultural workers around the world, and they're wondering, hey, how do I know when I get to that point where it's time to consider an exit? Some of the things that, that we were looking at in all of that is you take a look at the whole missionary task of entry, evangelism, discipleship, healthy church formation, leadership development, and even to a certain degree, how they exit out of an area and move to somewhere else themselves. Are they living that out? Are those that you're entrusting this to living that out? And so that was one of those criteria. So for entry, are they endeavoring to move cross-culturally? Are they willing to go to the next place. And in this case, like it, where we were in the South of Madagascar, would they be willing to go to an enemy tribe next to them that's never heard the gospel? And when we start seeing them saying, I hated them my entire life, but God loves them. I'm going to go share with them. 
then you're like, okay, that's a great criteria that they're willing to go into that. Or or they have a burden for other places that they never seen, never heard of, but God put a burden on them. So they're willing to try to think, how do we enter in? How do we do this? That takes us to evangelism. Like, are they faithfully sharing the truth of the gospel messages of Christ Jesus to everyone? Not just holding it back, but if there's somebody from outside who they are from a people group standpoint, are they still taking them in? Are they sharing? Are they moving? I would even add the idea of how many believers are actually sharing from within the church. It seems that in many places, the church declines because the believers become comfortable and they leave evangelism to the professionals. And so how well is the whole of the church sharing? Discipleship, are local churches faithfully and effectively training up disciples? Are they owning it? And then for us as well, one of the things we were looking at is, are the conventions willing to take on the relationship as well to give the right materials or the right people to come out and walk alongside them to help them go? And so we were finding those things taking place. And when it comes to healthy churches, are they healthy? Are they able to understand the 12 characteristics of a healthy church? Are they able to self-look and reflect on how they're doing and then say, here's where we're weak. Here's how we're strong. This is how we can become better. And are they, are they humble enough to ask for help from others and work together in those things? Are the churches planting other healthy churches off of them? Are they working towards that? And then are the local churches self-sustaining? Are they able to do the work on their own? It may look different. As I said, it's a very impoverished part of the country, but are they able to still do the work on their own? Are they doing things correctly? Then leadership development, how are they training up leaders? Are they equipped to do that? Do they have a structure to train leaders? Theological education that comes with that. One of the things that we were blessed with is that we were able to see several Malagasy leaders get master's degrees in the States and a PhD, and they've gone back to Madagascar that we can raise the overall level for all of Madagascar. But in our case, for the Antandruri, one of them was from that people group, and he's back in that part of the world taking leadership and leadership development of the people there with theological education. And another local brother in Christ, he's opened a mission school. And so how do you train guys how to live as missionaries and then to go out and do the missionary tasks themselves? So it's been really amazing to see that. And that comes to missionary involvement. Like, are they training and sending cross-cultural missionaries to other people's groups and places. So these were all questions we have that we were looking at from the beginning. How do we get this into who they are? And then you start seeing God do that. The other thing that you had to look at was the dependency. As I talked earlier, I had a dependency of becoming too much of a presence that I had to scale back at times. Do the presence of missionaries, do we foster more dependency? Are we giving them more? Are we releasing them? and empowering them to do what God's asked them to do as local bodies of believers. And of course you have selves, is it self-led, self-finance, self-theologizing, self-propagating and, and such and that. So all those were criteria that we were looking at on exit to partnership, but that we, it seemed like as you learn on the go, but a lot of this was from the beginning. Like we had a goal of a hundred percent of every believer from the beginning would be able to share their faith. And then because that was set in the DNA, it made other things become easier of making disciples, even though there is a drop-off sometimes percentage-wise of who actually does what in those aspects of the missionary task. Reaching a specific people group with the gospel demands specialized training and a global vision. Southern Seminary supports these ministry goals through theological education that is trusted for truth. A degree in missiology from Southern Seminary provides students with the biblical foundation and theological training necessary to take the gospel into all the world. 
the program prepares graduates to serve as missionaries, church planters, and ministry leaders anywhere in the world. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. The web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. Adam, when you guys first landed in Madagascar, did you ever think you would really get to exit? You dreamed of it, but (laughs) honestly, I didn't think so. I mean, the job we signed up for said that we would probably work 10 years and never see anybody come to Christ. We would be isolated six to eight months out of the year because of the rainy season and nobody, we wouldn't have teammates. We wouldn't be there. And God did something different. He provided great teammates. We saw people come to faith in Christ. And so I think in that time, I just remembered missionaries like the Blankenships that served their years before we got there and saw little to no fruit, but they moved rocks, man. They were so faithful. And you forget how many shoulders you stand upon mm-hmm. and the faith and the progress that somebody helped you get to. So when we got there, God had just, he had made good soil. I never thought like whenever I got on the airplane to leave. And even after the first stateside, you were like, we are so far away from anything that we need to be. Um, and then seeing God do that. And that goes back to one of the criteria. My wife, Susie and I, we would always tell them from the beginning, we're not here to stay forever. Like we love you guys. And we're going to be here as long as God wants us. We're committed. But our prayer is one day you would come to us and say, we got this. You've taught us, you equipped us, go somewhere else or go home. We got it here. We love you, but we don't need you around. And so before we exited out, we had two guys come up and tell us that. And so that was kind of like for us, like a personal criteria that God just allowed us to have. Like one of them just came and said, he had no idea that we were praying about leaving and just said, Hey, if God is calling you away, I want you to know that we got this, you can go. Mm-hmm. And he had no idea that internalizing where we were at that point. And so God was faithful to help us have one of those criteria that we were looking for, that they would accept that we needed to go somewhere else as well. Yeah. What a testimony of just, yeah, God's work, God's hand in the ministry there. I would love to hear briefly about that process. How do you communicate that to local leaders? How do you say, hey, all right, guys, we're getting ready to take off. What's the timeline? Can you just briefly describe that that process for us in terms of how you communicated and talked through that? Yeah. As I said, from the beginning that we always told them, like, we do want to exit out at some point. And so we set in the DNA, the idea of we're going to empower them and release them to do God's work. We're going to walk beside them. And we knew it would be a long time. As, as I said, we didn't know when we probably didn't, we thought it could happen, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking I'm going to die here more than likely. And, and I'm willing to do that. But as we were seeing people come to faith, it was amazing to see them catch on to the vision of going to the next place of making disciples. I think we ended up having to live in a city and work out from that city far away. And so for my first five or six years, I was one week at home, excuse me, one week out in the bush. And I think the fact that I never lived fully among them always made them know that Adam's not always going to be here for us from the beginning. 
And I wish I could say I planned that out, but it was just kind of how life hit with the necessities of our family and things like that. But it was beautiful to see in those off weeks that they would always say, we finished what you asked us to do. We shared this message or this story because we did a lot of orality process. We've gone and shared with this village and, and you just saw God doing things. And another sign, I had a disc replaced in my back from the roads and some issues going with that, but I wasn't able to go out for six months but I'd bring leaders to me, but they planted more churches in those six months than I'd been able to plant for the first five years with me not going out there. And it was just like, you saw God giving them confidence that it was he that could do it, not the servants that he sent, but it's God who is fully in charge. Mm -hmm. And it really was amazing. It got to the point where sometimes they would tell me, you don't do anything anymore. You go in, you say hi, and then we do all the teaching and the training and I would even have churches tell me, you're not our leader. This guy's our leader. And I would be like, amen, you're right. He is your leader. And so we, we just found very strategic ways to always push those local leaders that were rising up into the spotlight and where we start pulling ourselves back. But at the same time, letting everybody know that we love them. We're there for them, keeping relationship going and partnership. And so I think that was it. And then Honestly, one of the pastors that's passed away, Pastor Dude from Madagascar, whenever I asked him, what was the best thing I could do as a missionary, as a new missionary on the field? And he said, listen to us. Don't tell us what to do, but just listen to our heart and let us be at the table with you. But just amazing to see how God uses team and people to accomplish his will that he's looking for. Adam, if you had to do it all over again, what would you have done differently? I would want to learn the tools of healthy church assessment sooner. I don't know if they had existed already or not, but I had never learned them till years later. And that was a key cog to moving groups from discipleship groups to healthy churches, especially whenever you're teaching it and you color in the dotted line as a covenant that they are a church and seeing groups at the beginning where we were first struggling to get them to go from discipleship to group, discipleship to church groups, all of a sudden said, yeah, we're a church. We don't have everything in there. We know we're unhealthy here, but if you asked us, we're a church and they would just define them. And once they did that, they never went back. So I wish I had that tool sooner. Um, but as I said, God, he used that to help me become better at different times. I would have spent more time studying language and culture. We worked hard and we were very proficient in it, but you never learn enough. And if knowing what I know now, I, and if I was given the time that you get as an IMB missionary, I would take more advantage of trying to figure out. And then in that, not just asking the question and being happy with the answer, but asking follow-up questions from trusted people and then asking more layers of people, not just youth, but some older people and in between and those types of things to figure out more on culture. I would have wished I could have trusted God more hmm. instead of trying to put things in, in my own hands and be protective of that people group. And well, God's asked me to have this people group and you take ownership of it, which is good, but sometimes just release and say, God, I, I know you have, it. I don't have to protect them. I don't have to do things. I wish I would have been more patient with those around me. I try to be a patient man, but it's whenever you're, you're trying to deal with sin or leadership development or pushing to the next place, it's hard to always just be patient in that. And so, and then one of the things which is outside of exit of partnership, but we would have put our children into Malagasy schools for a season just to help them 
come into the culture. We went in there thinking that we would be just like a Malagasy person and then realized that our skin color would never let us truly be Malagasy as much as we are adopted into several places like that, but it would have helped our kids acclimate better and would have made some of the necessities in our life less burdensome on us because of trying to take care of family and things. Hmm. I want to shift to some lightning round questions, kind of quicker responses. The first few are kind of fill in the blank questions. So the you've talked about a lot of these things, but the most difficult, you had to single out one, the most difficult aspect of exit is blank. Knowing that you have to say goodbye to the people you love and not being there in their times of need, like physically there for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so, and I I don't know if that's what you're looking for in that, but that's like somebody that's exited, that's what hurts you the most. Yeah, uh, That, that that relational disconnect at some point. Yeah. All right. Next question. The the most important aspect for ongoing partnership after exit is blank. Listening to people, but not being the guy that has the answer for everything. And then with that, build others up that are there. Okay. So it's good. You talked about several of these markers, uh, things to look for before exit, but the most important, in your opinion, most important element marker to look for before exit is blank. That they can share the gospel to the next place and that they have a respect and love for the church, the bride of Christ. Okay. Yeah. So they have the ability to kind of cross over some of those cultural, linguistic, geographic, whatever barriers and faithfully share the gospel. Uh, I think that's key. All right. In, In your opinion, what is the danger of exiting too soon? or exiting too late? Yeah, too soon. I think you leave things weak and unhealthy. No matter how well you do it, it becomes ruins. One of the things that always stood out to me, there were some Lutheran missionaries that worked in the area where we worked and they built massive buildings. And you can drive out to the jungle and see them abandoned. And I remember thinking they exited too soon and they were there for a long time. But that was a question I always come back to that if I exit too soon, no matter how well I build, it's going to be left in ruins. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that God can still do amazing things, but if you just leave too soon, then it, it has a danger of never taking off or being sustainable. All right. And what about too late? So if you exit too late, you take away the privilege of others being able to lead out and to be able to learn to trust in God and learn from their mistakes that they're going to make. And then dependency upon you becomes too much and no one can do what you do. And you may become the ultimate authority more than the word of God as the ultimate authority for decisions that are made. Mm, That's good. All right, Adam, thanks for your time. Last question. We have a variety of folks who listen in, but some of those folks who are listening in are folks who are just like you serving cross-culturally. What's one word of advice you would give to a missionary team that's considering exit? Yeah. So one word is really hard. So I, (laughs) I have, yeah, I have one. Sorry, when, I say, when, I, when I say one word, it's you can string a couple of sentences together. Okay. All right. So I, I have this down. It starts now. Exit the partnership starts now. You don't wait. Abide and be consistent. So the exit partnership starts right now. You need to abide in Christ and be consistent in how you're going to live out the M task. And mm. those, I think, if I could give a short phrase, 
Yeah. Amen. Adam, thank you so much for your time, for the the conversation today. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.